Good morning. We are back in our study this morning in the Old Testament book of Ruth in a series titled The Gospel According to Ruth. Ruth chapter 3, you have a copy of the Bible, turn it on, grab it, open it up uh, in the first third of your Old Testament to the book of Ruth in a message titled God's Love in Our Hands. God's Love in Our Hands. Ruth chapter 3, follow along as I read these words, the first 13 verses of this chapter. One day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash Put on perfume and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking, he was in good spirits. He went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman. Of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning. If he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. The story of Ruth, some of you maybe never heard it before, who knows, as we've been looking at it in these three weeks. It is, um, at one level, a love story, kind of getting to that here uh, in chapter three. It's not the kind of love story that you see on TV. It's not the kind of love story that you read in a novel, but it is a love story nonetheless. It is the story of an ultimate outsider, a woman from a despised minority group who dares to believe that she can get full participation in the things of God, and she does get it in this story. It is a gospel story. It is a Christmas story in that sense. And next week, we'll see that this same woman ends up in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Once Ruth has experienced um, the true love 
of God, which is how this book really starts, right? We, we, when we opened it a couple weeks ago, she has this whole change of position and conviction. There's this study in contrast between her very desperate and bitter mother-in-law. They've both become instant widows in the opening chapter of this book, but their attitudes are very different because it appears through Ruth's words that she had experienced um, God's true love and that experience that um, struck her heart, right? That's what Christmas is about, by the way. That, that impacted her life changes the way that she loves the other people in her life. And this is where the lesson comes for you and me here this morning. First point that you see in this passage, Ruth as our protagonist, is true love is an act of the will. Okay? True love is an act of the will. This challenge that um, her mother-in-law gives her, you, you might find as very strange as I do, and we have to think about it in the context of the culture of the day, right? I mean, there are these desperate people um, who have lived in another country for many years. Just a little background. They were in the country of Moab because there was famine in, in, in Israel. And uh, Naomi is Jewish. Ruth is not Jewish because Naomi took her young sons and her husband over to Moab, you know, some distance away. And there her sons got married to these foreigners in this context, these Moabite women. And then in the history that we don't know, but it's reported, all the men in this family die. Naomi's husband and her two sons, one of which was married to this woman named Ruth. It's a tragedy, right? And not only is it a tragedy for anybody to lose their spouse, but in this culture, part of the point of this story is if you lose the men in your family, not as true today, but in this culture, put yourselves back there, you've lost everything, right? You have no income. You have no place to live. You have nowhere to lay your head. You're a desperate situation. Desperation is where this story begins, and this story is partly about how God, right? Some of us take time to have to come around to see God, the invisible hand of God. Ruth sees it, not so much Naomi, but Naomi's beginning to see it, how God is providing for you and for me. Ruth has been changed. Naomi's beginning to be changed. Naomi's beginning to see that God is providing for her, maybe even in this relative of hers, a guy named Boaz, but she comes up with this very strange and risky plan, which maybe this didn't, um, it wasn't obvious to you, but uh, it, it's, it's basically a marriage proposal, okay? And she says, listen, Ruth, this is what I want you to do, okay? Boaz is a rich man. He's a man of standing. He's this big, you know, company. He's, a, he's, a, he's, he's got this agricultural business. He's a man of standing, and it's harvest time, and he's going to be in the threshing floor running his business as men of his kind do. And what I want you to do is I want you to take a, a wash uh, yourself, put on perfume, put on your best clothes, right? Go down to the threshing floor, and after he's been drinking, right, that's what it says, I want you to, you know, once he falls asleep, just cuddle up down near the end of his feet, okay? And, you know, take the garment, and he, men wore these long robes, and, and just sort of fold it over, maybe up to his calves, and then, this is my favorite part, he'll tell you what to do, you know? 
can you imagine? He'll tell you what to do. Now, you, you could read this, and she says, as I say, true love is an act of the will. Here's Ruth's response to this pretty crazy plan, okay? I will do whatever you say. Now, when you first read that, if you weren't here the last two weeks, you might say, well, this is just Ruth's personality, right? Some people are like that. She's, some, maybe some of you are like that. You do whatever your mother-in-law tells you. Is that right, Larry? Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, you know, uh, uh, but some, of, you know, some people have people, they have authority in their lives. And you might say, well, Ruth is just that kind of person. She just does what people tell her. But see, if you, and I, if you guys have been reading this story with me, you know that's not the case. Because in, when this book opens, I think you're supposed to see this, there's one other time where her mother-in-law gives her very clear direction. It's the opening of the book. Many of you know it. These three women, Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah, mother two daughter-in-laws, all lose their husbands in a tragedy. We're not told what happened. And Naomi says, listen, ladies, I love you. You've been my daughter-in-laws for 10 years, but the party is over, and there's no point in me staying in Moab anymore. I'm going back to my people, to Israel, to Bethlehem, right? That's where I'm going back to, and you guys need to stay here. You need to go back to your village, and you're still young. You don't have any kids, and you are still young enough to find a husband of people that know you, who are of your class, who are of your race, who are of your sort of people. Go find a husband. We'll stay in touch, but go, right? And Orpah, one of her daughter-in-law says, thank you, and they kiss, and they hug, and she goes off, but Ruth Right? She's not this passive, do what you say. That's not her personality, to say, whatever you say, I will do. She says, in so many words, Hold your, you know, uh, save your breath, mom. I'm not going back. Where you go, I will go. And your people are going to be my people. Your God is already my God. Right? In those 10 years, Ruth had a conversion experience. And then she says, where you die, I'm going to die. And may the Lord deal with me. It's sort of a Hebrew uh, you know, idiom. Be it ever so severely, if anything separates you and me. Save your breath. So Ruth, in these words here, she's not just being a passive, um, submissive daughter-in-law. I think Ruth is acting... True love is an act of will. Partly in, 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 in service of her mother-in-law, right? That love that she committed, her mother-in-law is destitute. And even more than Ruth, who's destitute in this culture without a man, all the more so for someone who's Naomi's age, grandmother age in this case, it's even less likely that she's going to find a breadwinner for her. And Ruth is motivated largely in this passage for her mother-in-law, but it's not just her mother-in-law, right? True love is an act of the will. She is also motivated out of the commitment that she made, the, heart, the, the, the verse that most people know from this book that I just quoted, um, in her faith, okay? Your God will be my God, right? The, the New Testament says this, Galatians 5, 6. Faith, the only thing that counts... Right? Paul's given this great letter to the New Testament people of God, and he says, listen, Jesus Christ has changed everything. 
And he fulfilled the law. And you don't have to be focused on all these, you know, these, these, the, the, the stipulations of the law and whether or not you fulfilled the stipulations of the law, the moral law and the, and the ceremonial law and the, and the worship law. He said, listen, Jesus Christ has fulfilled it all. And the only thing that counts, he says, right? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love, right? True love always is an act of the will, right? It's not about, you know, acting, it's not about how you feel about something. It's not, it's about doing things that are in line with your commitments. One of my favorite writers, Christian writers, said this work. If an act is not one of work or courage, it is not an act of love there are no exceptions, right? If an act is not one of work or courage, it is not an act of love. There are no exceptions. That are not, it's not only true in marriage, in good ones, or in deep friendships. It's true in how God loves us, right? You could sum up the entire New Testament, the entire New Testament, right, in one verse. Romans 5, 8, that says this, while we were yet sinners, ellipses. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. What does that mean? As I say, it's a summary statement. It means while you were in your life and I was in my life and said, I don't care what God thinks. I don't care who God is. I don't care what his point of view is. I'm going to run my life and do my own thing. That's the Bible's way of saying, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. Right? This is what Christmas is about. True love is an act of the will. Right? It's not based on, God's love isn't based on your good behavior any more than it's based on your good looks. It's based on a love that resides in him, right? That has no explanation. Uh, it's got about what you do or what you don't do. It's clear from this book that Ruth experienced this kind of love in her relationship with her mother-in-law. In other words, she came to understand the God of the Bible, through the 10 years she lived with her mother-in-law, and it set the direction for the rest of her life. That's what this book tells you. She is a woman who's the ultimate outsider who dares to believe in a God and believes that she can have full participation in the promises of that God, and she gets it, and she is a model for you, and she is a model for me. It sets the entire direction of her life. And I would say this to you and to me. Okay, Christians, many of you in this room. If you do not possess that kind of resolve, right, in your faith towards God and towards other people, true love is an act of the will. If an act is not one of work or courage, then it is not love. Then I wonder, I question, I raise the question this morning whether or not the love of Jesus Christ, which is at the heart of Christmas, has actually captured your heart. Because see, the church is full of a lot of people, right? maybe especially at Christmas time, who know the ropes of the faith but have never been liberated in their heart 
They've never experienced the kind of change of your heart, the kind of love of God that redirects the course of your life. Christmas is about God sending his son into the world to die for our sins. It's not that plus other things. It's just that, right? Has it captured your heart? Has it captured mind? True love is an act of the will. Second, the heart of true love is sacrifice, okay? The heart of true love is sacrifice. There's a key word in this passage. It's in verse, it's in the words that we read in verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This is Boaz, who's a little inebriated, wakes up in the middle of the night. It's not my, uh, it a gloss, okay? He wakes up in the middle of the night and there's a woman who's dressed and, um, you know, uh, uh, cleaned up and she's sitting at his feet. So that's an unusual thing. But she says something. Who are you? Well, I'm your servant, Ruth. He had known her for, for, for many, the whole harvest, maybe, maybe a couple months. She said, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Now, she's saying something that... Um, is, is, is makes sense to him. I'll get to it in a second. But he says to her, right, she's, she's proposing marriage in this culture, okay? This, it, seems a very, it seems very sexy, but it's, it's much more than that. It's not the point, okay? She's proposing marriage, and she's doing it in a very gutsy way. She has absolutely no claims on this man at all, okay? He doesn't have to say yes. She's taking a chance here. The Lord bless you, my daughter, replied. Now, this kindness, verse 10, is greater than that which you've shown. Now, that word kindness, the underlying word for that word kindness, it appears three times in this book. Twice it describes Ruth and once it describes God. And the word kindness, the underlying Hebrew word, some of you have heard this, it's the word called hesed. And Bible scholars would say to you, and to me, that it's the most important single word in the entire Bible. The word hesed, translated kindness, sometimes covenant loyalty. Why is it? It is because the word hesed really describes not just love or an act of love, right? That's what he's saying. You, this act of kindness is even greater than what you've done with your mother, what you're doing with me, not going after the younger men. It's a word that describes covenant loyalty. And it's the kind of love uniquely ascribed to God. It's not a quid pro quo love, right? It's not I come to Bob and say, Bob, listen, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. I'll do this for you, you do that for me. Let's make a deal. It's not that kind of love at all. While we were yet sinners right? There's nothing there. There's pushback there. There's no thank you there. There's, you know, uh, a get away from me. Christ died for you, right? But this kind of love, when it captures your heart and it captures mine, we actually begin to love. We can do this, believe it or not. We can actually love beyond our own self-interest, beyond our own greed, beyond our old need to be loved and satisfied and approved. We can actually love for the benefit of another. This is what the word hesed means, it's about covenant loyalty. And Ruth and Boaz illustrate this kind of love. It's the point of chapter three. 
God's love in our hands at a time when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now, that statement um, summarizes the, the period of the judges. The period of the judges is 400 years of Jewish history. Okay? It's a whole book called Judges. And it's a period of history between the early beginnings of the people of God till they grow up and become a monarchy and have kings like Saul and David on and on. And the period of Judges was a very, very dark period in the history of the Old Testament. And if you read the book of Judges, if some of you, let me tell you something, you couldn't make up things as bad as that. You think the Bible is, 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 a, is a G-rated book? Not so. What happens in the book of Judges is the kind of violence and sexual violence and bloodletting and the kind of things that, that would even surprise the reading of the paper in the 21st century, okay? And it was characterized, the last verse of the book of Judges, but it's used many times as everyone did what was right in their own eyes in the book of it's, it's sort of like the wild wild west of the people of God that's the book of Judges and the book of Ruth is one little story in the middle of a culture where people did whatever they wanted to do right I can't think of a book in a manner of speaking that's more relevant to the day in which we live right we live in a world where people are motivated by one of two things by greed which means I'm going to get what I want from you, whether you like it or not, or they're motivated by, let's say, this sense of you know um, um, uh, uh, expectation that 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 you know this this idea that um, you know I'm owed something, right? We either live in this, it's either about greed or about my rights, right? That's our culture. What you owe me, what what the world owes me, what you owe me, or what I want, right? In, an, in, a, in, a, in a place where everyone did what was right in their own eyes, Ruth and Boaz demonstrated sacrifice is the true, um, true love is, is, is lived out. The heart of true love is sacrifice. Now here's what we don't know about Ruth in this passage, what she's doing, right? She's, she's demonstrating this hesed kind of love because she's experienced. We don't know if Ruth is good looking. Now, if you've heard ser sermon series on this before, pastors have a lot of fun with this. You know, and, oh, Ruth is this very exotic outsider and she's, now she's young and you, the, the cover of the Ruth books are, she's this very sexy woman, you know, Ruth, you know. And, and, and Boaz sees her and he says, wow, you know, you could have went after younger men, which implies that she's, now maybe she was good looking. I don't know. But here's what I do know. Here's what the text tells us. All of the people of my town. Why does he say this? This kindness that you're showing to me. Sort of amazing, right? Thousands of years ago, she's proposing marriage to him. He's the rich man in this story, by the way. Chapter one, a man of great standing. He says, this kindness that you're showing to me is greater than what you've done before. You have not run after younger men. Right? Which implies that She's probably attractive, if not physically attractive, we know she's attractive in this way. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Now, what does that mean? 
It doesn't mean she's from royal blood, like it's just an adjective. He's talking about her character. What, what noble character means is this. She is someone for who it is known that she, she, she has principles, right? True, act, true, true love is a, an act of the will. She has principles and she acts out of those principles, And it's all the people in the town of Bethlehem because of what she'd done with her mother-in-law. See, she's not one of these kind of people, some of us. See, we're kind of Christians in name only, right? People might know you're a Christian because you, I'm a Christian because I pull out of my house on Sunday morning, all right? Because I'm doing what what all of us are doing here this morning, not a bad thing. But really, for every other indicator, it's not real. It's where we have this sort of privatized faith. And it's just, I'm a Christian. It's, I'm, gonna, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna bother you with it. I'm not gonna talk about my faith, nor is my life actually any different than the lives of anyone else on my street, right? I don't really actually have a different kind of life. Well, that wasn't true with Ruth, okay? He says, listen, everyone in this town knows that you are a woman who not only has a faith, but who acts out of that faith, okay? That tells me that Ruth probably had other options, right? That's what he's saying. Could have gone after other men. But she makes the move that she makes. Ruth does not marry for love. Ruth does not marry for um, money. She does it, end of verse nine, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. She does it for her destitute mother-in-law who's going to be without any means of security and to carry on the legacy of her dead husband. Okay, She's a woman of noble character. And by the way, so is Boaz because he is under no obligation whatsoever to take this proposal. Right? In fact, he says, listen, there's someone else's job. Someone else is a closer relative than I am. But let me tell you something right now. If that somebody doesn't want to redeem you, because there's, there's both benefits and responsibilities in taking on this young woman and her mother-in-law. Right, Larry? And her mother-in-law. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, and, and her responsibilities, right? But he says, if he doesn't, I will. Okay, he does this at great cost to himself. The heart of true love is sacrifice. And what I hope is that the love that is at the heart of Christmas, right, this kind of hesed love that God has for you and me, it brings out in you and me this kind of love to the people around you this Christmas. Last point, the mission of true love is to restore what's been lost. This is so important. The mission of true love is to restore what's been lost. Listen carefully. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Now, this seems so odd to you, but it's just a custom, but it's, it's not that hard to understand. She is proposing marriage. Spread the corner of your garment over me, right? Since you are the guardian redeemer of our family. Now, the word guardian redeemer, there's one word in Hebrew. It's the word goel, okay? And it is a technical term. And it's a technical term that for a, a close relative to exercise a moral obligation for a close relative who is in some kind of trouble. 
And there's at least three examples that you see in the Old Testament, right? When they lost something, that's what a redeemer means. You've lost something, I've recovered it, right? And now I'm giving it back to you, right? That's what redemption means. It means to get something back that you've been lost. And what I'm saying to you is this word, redeemer, which becomes the word associated with the Jesus Christ, of course, is at the heart of the gospel. It's about getting back what has been lost. And what the guardian redeemer did was, at least in three instances in the Old Testament, in one case, they would get back land that was lost because in the, in, the, in the culture of the Jewish people, your identity was tied to your property. That's why they call it the promised land and you had tribes and inheritances, right? All over the maps in the back of your Bible. The 12 tribes of Israel all cover this geography and it goes right down in those boring genealogies to all the way down to the families. This is where your family lives and your family lives and your family lives. And that's why it was so important for this woman to get her property back because her husband was associated with the land deed and without another man to redeem that land, it was gonna be lost, okay? That's the whole point. But what the guardian redeemer does in some cases, they would come and say, well, listen, Bob lost his land. I'm a close relative. I'm gonna pay his debt and give him his land back. Or Bob lost his his freedoms happened a lot in the Old Testament. He had to sell himself into slavery. We don't see that in our culture so much. Very true in this culture. People would have to sell themselves. They would sell their life over. They became a slave because they become indebted through all kinds of different reasons. And as a, as a relative, I would satisfy Bob's debt and he could have his freedom back. Or in another case in the Old Testament, it was an avenger for a murder, Right? Somebody murdered somebody, right? Murder, not a justified killing, a murder, and I would be an avenger of blood. In any case, I'm the guardian redeemer because what I do, it's a moral obligation. In a culture where there's no safety net, right? We don't have that kind of situation. It's a culture where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. No police department. There's nobody on the other end of the line, okay? Um, you, you took care of people. And that's what she's saying here to Boaz, right? You know, I had this happen a lot in my life, in small ways. You probably do too. Um, especially as a single parent household, okay? Grew up in a single parent household. I've mentioned this before, six kids. You know, it was kind of, in our own little way, everyone did what was right <laughs> in their own eyes in the Catalani household, Okay? And I, I can remember one such incident illustrates the point. I was um, uh, my, my um, eighth grade confirmation, okay? Good Catholic boys do that. I'm not sure that I qualified. But anyway, I was, uh, had to be confirmed. And you go walk down the aisle of the beautiful church, and the priest gives you a blessing, and it's a very formal and beautiful family thing for your little 13-year-old boy or girl. Confirmation. Well, my day comes, and in our kind of crazy family, you know, everything happens at the last minute, and we find the tie and the coat, and because you don't wear that a lot when you're a kid, and we find everything except the shoes, right? So I'm there with my nice suit on, my little John Travolta suit, and, uh, <laughs> and sneakers, and my mother says, I don't think so, you know. I don't, I don't, where's your shoes? I have no idea. The dog ate it, you know, I don't know. But she reaches out to my neighbor, 
may have told the story before, but it's worth restating. Uh, we called him uncle, you know. And, uh, and he says, no problem. And he brings over, there are three or four sizes too big. Okay, because his son, my friend, was wearing his own shoes. I couldn't wear his. And I, you know, slowly slid my way down that aisle. <laughs> but the point is, okay, it was someone who said, I'm going to give you what you've lost, okay? The message of Christmas is about God's redeeming love, right? Redeeming love. What does that mean? The, the mission of true love is restoring what's been lost. Providentially, sometimes it's a pair of shoes, it's a windfall, it's even a husband, right? The providence of God is huge in this book. But the heart of Christmas, it's something much deeper than that. It's restoring the peace of God that you know is out there but you don't have. It's the spiritual healing, right? That you have this sense of separation from God. I have this sense of separation from God. And nothing seems to make it worse. Everything I do seems to make it worse. And God sent his son, Jesus Christ. He's the redeemer of the world to restore to you what has been lost. Separation from God. The peace of God. The love of God. The forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Okay, This is what Christmas is about. One verse and we're done. 1 Peter 1, 18 to 21. Listen carefully. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, bought back from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, right? But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Amen? I don't know where you sit this Christmas. Let me say this. The mission of true love is to restore the things that have been lost. Some of us, you see, we, don't, we, we, we know the world feels like a, an empty place. We don't even know it's been lost, right? We don't, we, we, our memories are, so, are wiped clean. We don't even know the peace that passes understanding. We don't know what it even means to have peace with God, to have a true sense of joy and a sense of purpose. That's what Jesus Christ came to bring. That's what Christmas is all about. And when that love gets a hold of your heart, right, it changes the entire direction of your life. Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God is my God. Right? And we can become people, right? The love of God is put in our hands. And we, we become people who bring that love and demonstrate that love to the people around us. Amen? All right, let us pray. God and Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this morning for every man and woman in this room. Lord, we, we just love you and thank you. And I just pray for all of us as we sit here this morning and think about, first, if we, if we are Christians, whether or not 
you know, we are the kinds of people who in a culture that does what's right in its own eyes, who have been satisfied in our deepest place of our hearts and who can go to the world not to get or expect, but to give. Release us to do that today more. And Lord, if we're in this room and, and, and maybe have heard the Christmas story, if not the story of Ruth, but have never opened our lives to the forgiveness, to the amazing love, the hesed love of God, the mercy, the grace um, that comes into our lives while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. May we open our lives to him today in simple faith and trust. I pray, Lord, that we would just let go of our fears, let go of our pride, and open ourselves up to the promise of the love of Jesus. I pray for everyone in this room, Lord, that you would um, change us, make us more like this woman who you thought so much of that for all of eternity, people will say, will know She's in the genealogy of Jesus Christ because of her faith. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.